Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth, so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is Mark Ortega. Mark started in the tech world before transitioning into real estate investing. Out of nothing, he created a portfolio of over 35 single-family properties in the state of Oklahoma. Today, he's preparing to sell that portfolio and transition into more of a passive investing role. From growing up on food stamps to financially free at 29, Mark is the example that it doesn't matter where you start. What matters is where you finish. Well, science, I bring you Mark Ortega. Welcome to the show, brother. What's going on? Appreciate it, man. Yeah, um, that's a good little intro for it. Thanks, yeah, so, dude. Uh, Thanks, dude. Yeah. I, I appreciate you coming on. And, and seriously, I know you're on the uh, you're in your final days here of, of getting ready to uh, sell this portfolio. Yeah. So it's exciting for right. you, dude. But so the Oklahoma stuff, yeah, that's like now I'm on the home stretch of getting tossing and getting rid of it. You know, it's been good. It's been buying cheap. You know, growing it, finishing it out, and selling. It. And so that 35 is just the Oklahoma stuff. I have also probably around. Maybe about total 50, I would say 50 units because I count one unit as like a mortgage or I have land here. Right. So right. I have probably around 50 or so, maybe 55 total units. But this is a good chunk, 35 to just sell in one swing. So excited. Dude, that's that's awesome. And and for the people who don't know you, Mark, I mean, just sharing like just a little bit of your background of kind of like where you started, you know, yeah. how you got to where you're at today and and what you kind of have planned going on. Yeah. So I'm originally from El Paso, Texas. And so Basically, just grew up, just normal, you know, regular, uh, regular family, you know, parent, uh, two income household, parents just worked all the time. And it was not, I mean, everything was great. It was still not, I had a normal childhood. Um, after I graduated high school, I went to UT Austin and studied economics. Uh, after graduating from UT, then I went off to, I actually moved to San Antonio, did software development for about a year switched and then started a real estate company and that's where things you know that's what i've been doing for the past six years six and a half years at this point uh and started with literally nothing you know uh when i quit the software gig i only had maybe five grand and i was like i'm just gonna go try real estate and so um from nothing now um i crossed like the millionaire market like uh maybe five years in you know doing the real estate so it's been definitely a good rise and also good timing i mean let's face it the luck has been a good factor and just the timing of the market i bought a lot of stuff and then it just went up in value over the last 24 months pretty significantly yeah that's that's so exciting and i i think you know the timing is a huge piece of it too i you know i'm i'm really interested like you cross that millionaire mark in your 20s and there's so many people right. listening i think that are around our age either college or in their 20s or whatever right. i mean what what kind of like advice or recommendations do you have for like young people out there trying to attain financial freedom right so like that whole uh, cuz i've heard so many people asking for advice that in a relative all different age groups right and so the biggest thing is that everybody thinks that they have to have money to start and it's just honestly not true it's not the 
it's almost, I feel like I kind of got lucky in the regards that I didn't have any cash and I didn't have a lot of options. So it's like, it forces you into, there's no other options. You have to succeed. And so I got lucky in that regard of like, hey, I have to make something happen really quickly after I quit that job because I don't have a lot of savings, not a lot of reserves. I'm like, I, and of course, it's not to go out there and be reckless, but um, you learn a lot of uh, lessons really quickly and that you have to surround yourself with people that know. If you don't know it, you have to surround yourself with people that do know it um, so that you can grab, you know, expertise from different, you know, sections. So it's like, biggest thing, start, don't get stuck in analysis, analysis paralysis. There's not a, you don't need to have a certain amount of money or a certain amount of income or uh, anybody can get started. But the biggest thing is getting started and getting started sooner because then you're going to regret it five years, 10 years from now. You're going to be like, oh, well, shoot, I should have just started. You would be a lot further down the road in your progress uh, if you had just started earlier. There's no, it's, you can start at 18. It doesn't really matter. The whole thing is uh, surrounding yourself or being knowledgeable, being resourceful and finding and connecting with people because it is a people's game. It doesn't matter if you're like a lone wolf or uh, this game is to be played with uh, a lot of people. I mean, everybody, you're, you're all winning together. Uh, for one objective or one goal. Yeah, I think that is super powerful. And it's one of the huge advantages of real estate. It's like you can start with low or no money down, depending on the right. financing, which is just incredible. I mean, looking back to that time when you were in the tech and like, we already talked about it a little bit, like you didn't have a lot of, you didn't have so many options, but I guess what were right. those kind of core draws to real estate at that time in your life? Like why real estate and not maybe the stock market or something else, I'm curious. Right, um, okay, so the stock market in terms of, there's not a lot of vehicle, because okay, so I always imagine whatever you're doing or whatever your path is, it's a vehicle that you choose. So whether you're doing your job is, uh, let's say as a software developer, here's my vehicle, is my vehicle software development. I can plan where's my destination that I wanna travel to. And so how quickly does this vehicle drive? How quickly do I get there? Uh, if you actually make the calculation, uh, which what I did, I was like, oh, it's going to take longer than I would like it to, to reach the end destination of what I'm looking towards. So I have to obviously switch vehicles. It just doesn't make sense um, to continue. So I got out of the vehicle and then I'm like, okay, the vehicle that makes the most sense with what resources I have, which is none, uh, you can't really go buy a bunch of stocks with no money, uh, as uh, basically real estate just made sense all around. This vehicle is in good shape and it gets you there in a shorter time frame. Now, of course, it's higher risk than having a standard W-2 job, um, but that's all relative too, because the whole higher risk, it's actually low. When you get to the, when you re get to the end portion of it, you realize all along that this is actually less risk than having that job in the first place, because instead of having one source of income, you, you diversify it. So, and then you also can't get fired. You know, it's not like you're a job, you have one job and you get axed and that's it. Uh, versus you have a bunch of different tenants and a bunch of essentially bosses because they are essentially, you know, your customers, your bosses that are generating you income. Um, it's it's safer in the end. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I talked to so many people being military. We talk about pensions all the time. And it's like, right. you're so many people are due 20 years and depend on that pension. And it's like, who says that that pension is going to be here forever? You know what I mean? Right. With, with, you know, where the government's going or whatnot. So I think that's, a huge draw to me to real estate. It's like, I want to take my financial future and, and control it and put it in my own, you know, hands, my own power. So I think that's right. You're in your own, right. You're in your own destiny, as opposed to if you do rely on one separate entity, whether it's the government for a, like a pension or a company for a pension or oh, if it's, you basically are just putting all your eggs in one basket. So just as a relative risk, everybody knows, don't put your eggs. I mean, 
don't put your eggs in all in one basket. But again, that could be also, if you know what you're doing, also can't be too bad. Because honestly, for me, I do the put all my eggs in one basket in terms of real estate. I don't do any other types. All my money sits in real estate. Now, I don't have it like stocks, bonds, treasures, none of that stuff. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's really important, and I just love that analogy that it is. It's super important to diversify. You, you talked about it a little bit. This is a huge people's game, and I, I'm a huge believer of yeah. that too. I mean, right. forming those those partnerships at like in those early years, Mark. I mean, what advice I guess do you have to forming partnerships? You know, did you have issues, or or what are your kind of thoughts right. on that? Yeah. So in terms of it is completely a people's game. And so you think uh, starting out, especially when you're younger, because I remember when I, even when I first started renting out the houses, uh, everybody would always ask, oh, are you helping your parents rent out the house? And I was like, no, no, I, I own the house and I'm renting it out <laughs> when I was showing them, you know, because before I couldn't even grow a beard, nothing. It was just like, you know, baby face, like this, what is this kid doing? Um, and so don't let that spook you. Don't let it scare you. Um, you're going to go out and you make your connections. And it's important because um even if you are fresh out of school you know or like let's say you're 18 and you're trying to go raise money uh for this people game that we're playing the lenders that are going to be lending you the cash all the money is secured lending so even in the worst case scenario if that individual is not able to perform on that that lender is still safe and they can go and you know take the property from so let's say they're more inclined that's uh, what i'm getting at is that even if you're 18, it is still possible to go raise cash to go buy property so long as they're good deals. Because when that lender lends you the money, they're going to say, okay, well, the loan to value, if it's maybe 60 to 70%, it's a safe bet. So even if the person doesn't perform, um, they're still able to get back the asset, sell it, and still come out ahead. So it's not as hard to raise money as people make it think, but don't also let the gurus tell you like, hey, it's no money down. Like it's still, it's, you're either going to put in time, uh, money or, you know, sweat or, you know, it's not like it's, uh, I put a lot of sweat equity at the beginning, um, and, you know, building those connections, even doing some of the work myself to save cash along the way. Uh, but anybody can go and network and build those connections. Cause even when I first started, it was handing out a card. I literally just printed out cards from Vistaprint, you know, and said, Hey, <laughs> real estate investor. And so I went to all the meetings because you go to meetup.com or you go to one of these websites that has all the your local events. And there was a bunch of real estate investing events. So I went to every single one network and that's part of building your team, telling everybody what you're doing, letting as many people know what you're trying to do. And if they want to help, help in that, you know, vision that you're trying to, it's a shared vision of a goal. Um, Cause you'll find just like we're on this category of like, Hey, trying to build wealth. There's individuals on the other extreme of that, that for example, which the majority of my lenders are on the other end of the life cycle where they have cash, they're higher in age, but they need the individual to put the money to work. So it, it's like a, you have this relationship that you need each other. So don't get into the mindset that it's um, like, oh, it's going to be hard to raise money because they need these individuals need you just as badly as you need them because they need to put that money to work. Because if it is sitting, it's sitting idle and they don't have that passive you know, retirement income that they're looking for. Yeah, I, I think you hit so many like super important things there. I mean, networking, super powerful, breaking out of like what I would call like the secret identity. Like if people don't know you're doing, you're in real estate or whatever, you're in stocks or crypto, like nobody's going to want to invest with you. It's that simple. It's, right. your, it's like your secret identity. Um, right. Dude, so, so many great things hit in there. Something I don't want to gloss over. You talked about, you know, investing a lot of sweat equity in the beginning. Like when you're, when you're scaling from like, you know, one door to 35 or, or to 50 doors, when you look at your whole portfolio, I mean, what are some of the, the parts of scale that kind of go into that part? 
So I would say that at the beginning, it was a ton of sweat equity. It was a lot of learning because I feel like in, in true business, it's one of the skill sets that you're going to realize you don't need to know 100% of everything, um, but you do need an individual that is an expert that knows 100% of it, but you maybe in the end really only need to know maybe 40%, 50%. You need to know enough to know what does that job cost? Am I getting uh, over, is he overcharging me for it? How do I know if it's actually done? Now, do I know, need to know all the intricacies of it? Not so much, but when you first start out, it is a good idea to put a lot of sweat equity and actually learn how a lot of this stuff is done so that when you're going and you're hiring an individual, you know more or less what to look for. I mean, you're not going to be an expert in it, but you're going to know, like you're going to satisfy that 40%, 50% knowledge requirement. Um, you know, so it shouldn't be over. Like this isn't, it's all, not all sunshine and rainbow. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of sweat equity. It's, it's also not like a get rich quick. I guess in the relative like idea of five years, oh, you can make a good amount of money. It's a slow grind and it's a lot of sweat in the beginning to get that base knowledge that you need to hire the correct individuals, you know, to help you build your portfolio. Yeah, I, I think that's super important. I think we'll we'll label this the wealth science Mark, Mark Ortega 40% rule. Just go 40%. <laughs> 40%. Yeah. You don't even know, like I'm not I'm not an electrician, you know, but I yeah, know, yeah, hey, yeah. you know, this is too large of a circuit breaker for this rated of, you know, the rating on the uh, amperage of that line. So it's like, you know, certain items you gotta, there's certain things that you should know. But I'm not like, for example, an attorney. So I'm gonna know what clauses are generally how to look at these documents. But I'm not going to have the intricacies of what is that a liability or those problems. That's why you have the expert attorney to help you, you know, in terms of uh, what you're looking at. So, yeah. yeah, I would say you don't need to know to be the expert because that's there's no, not a time of the day to be an expert in everything. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Like, I, I'm, I'm interested, like, you're from Texas originally. I mean, you built this 35 single family uh, portfolio in Oklahoma. You know, like, yeah. when, when looking at, like, market selection of why you wanted to go into that specific market and why you had such great potential or that market had such great potential, like, what are your thoughts on, like, selecting a specific market? And I guess, why did that one stick out to you in, uh, in particular? When it comes to coffee, our mission is to provide only the best. If you're still buying Java from the store, you need to seriously consider not only how long ago the beans were roasted, but also how long the bag you're about to purchase has been sitting on that shelf. Could be longer than you two's been on tour. It's our promise to supply our customers with the highest grade coffee, delivered freshly roasted directly to your door. Our coffees contain the fullest of flavors and unmatched aromatic excellence, produced by specialty coffee farms around the world. We know almost everyone has a cup of coffee to get their day going, and another one when the midday work fatigue hits. So, for a beverage that you're consuming at least twice every day, why not make that experience one worth repeating and try our Robusta Move coffee today? Visit robustamove.com and save 20% on your first order with the code VINYL. That's code VINYL, V-I-N-Y-L, to save 20% on your first order at robustamove.com. Robusta Move Coffee. Try it today. Okay, so for um, this again goes to when you're choosing your vehicle to get to your destination. At the current time, my only, uh, how far I could see was what is the current cash flow today that provides, like spend the least amount of money, get the highest amount of cash flow. So when I'm doing my selection of territory, it turns out that Lawton was a good destination. It was a very cheap uh, to purchase 
and higher amount of rent relative to what you're purchasing. So like that whole one or 2% rule, you can, I was getting basically 2% plus on every single property. And so you could uh, acquire them very quickly, fix them up, rent them. Um, now further down that road, and you can see further again, so everything is progressive. So now that I uh, um, further down the road, I could see further through, down the horizon and say, you know what? I've actually made the majority of the money through appreciation and not so much cash flow. The appreciation factor of it um, is great. So it's like, it should be a little bit more priority in market selection because for example, the 35 in Lawton hasn't appreciated as much, nearly as not anywhere close as in terms of percentage basis as my other assets that are here in Texas. Texas has shot up, you know, I wouldn't say double in terms of percentage wise, but uh, it's a significant portion. Um, and in terms of the overall wealth building, it turns out that appreciation is where literally where I've made all the money. And so um, my market selection now might be a little bit different than when I was, you know, earlier on in my progress. Um, I would definitely look for, well, it depends also on your market cycles, but it's now at this point, I would look more for appreciation that has a sufficient amount of cash flow to maintain that position while I'm waiting for the appreciation. Um, so I don't know if I would do lot and right about now. Uh, I'm selling it, obviously, <laughs> you know, but um, at this point in the market cycle, I'm like, oh, I might end up staying a little bit more in cash. Uh, and also do other investments, but um, I don't really want to probably, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would choose a lot <laughs> just right now. Back, back in like 2015 or, or uh, 2016 when you started, I mean, you're buying these houses dirt cheap. I mean, I don't dirt know, cheap. you're telling me like you're getting houses for like $10,000. Oh, I mean, yeah, even uh, like the one on McKinley I bought for two grand. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Oklahoma, fantastic prices. Uh, now those prices have gone up surprisingly, you know, but stuff has been so cheap. All the money was literally spent in repairs. It was like, you could get the house for next to free, but all your money is going to be spent in that repair. Um, now, uh, again, also it, it depends on where you're at in your positioning, but that cash flow aspect, extremely important at the beginning. Um, and now it, it's still obviously always important, but not as significant. So I would choose a market where it's a little bit bigger, nicer assets, easier to maintain and scale up uh, versus uh, doing these small, tiny properties. And this has been a significant learning lesson in that when you're doing a bunch of little properties, you have a bunch of different titles to every property and a bunch of different, when you go to sell it, lots of costs versus why not just consolidate all that into one single apartment complex or you know it just has one title there's not a whole lot of curative matters when you go sell it. Um, consolidation and ease of your life is, is kind of the goal at this point. Now, that's what I'm leaning towards. And this is all an evolution. Everybody's going to be, at, depending on that market cycle, or not in the market cycle, but where their positioning is in life. Um, you know, it's, it's wiser if you could take the advice of somebody that's further down the horizon and use it in your own plan and say, you know what, hell, I'm just going to skip all the single family houses and just jump into apartments. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the better. Yeah. To play. Yeah. We have so many people on here. I mean, I'm in mobile home parks where we're super oh. bullish on mobile home parks, apartment building, self-storage. And like my only, like my point, like, I'm just curious what you think about this. Like when I look at 35 single family homes, I think of like, like a repairman running over to this road, back over to this road, 
you know, eight blocks right. over where like when you're managing a 35 unit apartment building, it's like everything's consolidated under one roof. It's, it's, right. I think so the systems are easier. I don't know if you agree. Yeah. So the systems are way easier. Now it's not as uh, severe given that the geographic location of this city is so small. So crossing distances isn't as bad, but let's say you get into a bigger location like Houston and you're in Houston, Texas, and you got an hour or an hour and a half with traffic to get all the way across to the other side that becomes, you know, super cumbersome and it, it just doesn't make as much sense. Um, so outside of like a small geographic area, um, just consolidate it, it just consolidate into one location. It makes a whole lot more sense. Um, yeah. And use the same principles you learn building the individual ones and bring those same lenders along to go just do bigger deals. Just makes, yeah. uh, everything just makes a lot more sense that way. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. The, one of the last things I, I wanted to get your thoughts on here, like when looking at like out-of-state investing, and again, you're out of Texas investing in Oklahoma, property management becomes extremely complicated, not being boots on the ground on a daily basis. I guess, how did you tackle that problem? What were some lessons learned and, and what advice do you have for other out-of-state investing listeners? Right. Out of state, always going to be, you're going to always be budgeting more for your repairs that are out of state than you're going to be doing in your local. But I guess it's also uh, based on how much of the labor charges in that locality. But one thing you need to factor into it is you always need double verification of everything. So it just adds to the cost. You're going to need to find your, uh, your professional inspector to go be your eyes. That's an independent third party. Every time I go do a repair in Oklahoma, that's for uh, rehab. It's always going to, every time it's completed, there's an individual that circles back around that's completely separate, third party, goes and reviews it, nitpicks it, and says reports back. And if you don't have that checks and balances mechanism, you're going to get scanned. You're going to fail. Like It's going to be a lot harder to, uh, to maintain the ship or steer the ship correctly if you don't have the proper system structured to operate an out-of-state operation. So uh, super important. Checks and balances on everything that you do. Um, and second eyes, second set of eyes um, so that they can actually watch for you and always switch them out because you never know if people are going to conspire to together. So maybe once it's the same individual, they become comfortable and they become more lax. It's always good for the inspector to just continually constantly change them out for new individual checking. So there's, you know, there's always a constant turnover in that uh, to maintain complete, you know, objective uh, decision making on it. Yeah, checks and balances, I mean, super important. And, and I think oh. you have brought up another great point, like the coercion piece. If like right. your your checker person was in cahoots with like your one of your labor people, it's like they could totally just scam you all day. Meanwhile, right. your tenants are texting you nonstop that like work's not getting done. Right. So, I mean, I'm like, I'm trusting kind of guy, but I also like to verify. So uh, if I like, yes, I will, I will believe most. And I'm like, okay, great. But I still going to send somebody anyways, just to verify. Um, it doesn't matter how long. Uh, don't let a contractor just say, oh, well, we've been working together for two years now. You don't trust me now. It's not that it's, it's nothing to do with the trust aspect. It's simply system processes to make sure that stuff goes the correct way it's supposed to go. Uh, so don't fall into that trap of, you know, getting too comfortable with who you're working with because oh, continue to be diligent. And it's part of being a diligent investor. Be diligent with your workers uh, that you hire uh, be, and never fall into that conformity or like just comfort because uh, it's going to be your, your one day you'll be, have a surprise. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Most likely yeah. an unpleasant one. So, but yeah. <laughs> right. Um, right. I, I wanted to get your perspective as well, like scaling from again, one to 35, like at towards the end there, maybe from like 20 to 35 doors, like, does it become more difficult to get lending and debt? Like how, how does the bank view you, I guess, if, yeah, that, so if that question kind of makes sense? Yeah, the first part of your real estate investing career is going to, the hardest part is probably the first two or three years. You're not bankable. No bank's going to want to touch. This is, they're going to, the bank's going to look at you and say, you know what? You haven't been doing this a long, long enough in this industry. Where are your two years of tax returns? Um, you're not going to be bankable for the first two years. You're really going to have to rely on hard money or private money, which is what I was doing. I was just raising money from all private lenders. And so at the end, once the, you have your tax returns and you have the proof of rents and you have, you know, it shows everything. Okay, this makes sense. You take it to the bank, you can bundle it under a portfolio loan. And that's what I do with the lot and portfolio. I would take six or seven, bundle it together, go to the bank and say, hey, can I refinance this group of properties and replace it with cheaper long-term financing? And so, yeah, it's going to be, that's what I'm saying. This is a grind. It's a grind for until you get some sort of uh, years under your belt. And you're bankable and you can get cheap money. Now I can get cheap money. And that's, it's like one of those things you unlock if we're just, you know, it's like if you're playing a game, okay, cheap money unlock, you know, as you make your further progress down the road. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great perspective. I, I appreciate that. And, and last question sure. I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, yeah. looking back on the last six years, again, we are in the final hours of, of your portfolio here before it sells, right. which is incredible. I mean, if right. you could do it all again, Mark, I mean, anything, two or three things, if you could pick out that you would give our listeners that you would have done differently or, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would probably, um, from I probably would have ramped up even more yeah, well, but nobody's going to know the timing of the market, right? Uh, like that it was going to just swell so much. But if I could go back, I would have ramped up more. And I probably actually would have, if I knew I was that committed to a market, um, I would have just literally moved there for a year or so, set up shop uh, so that I could have a significant, a small army of individuals working on houses. And over that same time period, I could have turned over 100, 150 small houses, you know, and then packaged that and sold it at the end. Uh, that would have made more sense. But I, at the end, everybody doesn't know, are you fully committed uh, to this, um, you know, to the city, to this locality? Um, so if you're going to do it, plan on, uh, if you're going to go and do, especially out of state, don't plan on doing one or two or three, because you're just going to get wrecked. Uh, plan on being committed and saying, okay, well, I'm going to stay here and get, you know, a minimum 30 properties or so. So you can have that sufficient economy to scale. So yeah, I'd go back. And scale up for sure. I mean, I guess anybody would, right? Buy more. <laughs> if we knew the market was going to do what it did, yeah. If everybody could right. turn back like five years, it's it's a no brainer. Just buy right. more. Buy more. <laughs> buy more. Yeah. Um, yeah. As as we get ready to wrap up here, like we always finish on like not so like not really real estate related things, but we talk so much about market cycles, and I know you have like a great perspective on this. Like looking at where we're at currently, and nobody has a crystal ball, but. I mean, what do you see the next like six, 12 months kind of happening in the realm of like the real estate world and where the market's at? Right. So this following, or I guess we're already in 2022. So this year we're probably going to have, I mean, at least three rate hikes. We're going to have four rate hikes. I mean, just knowing, you know, basically if interest goes up, if the interest rates go up, the buying power of your buyers goes down. There's less buyers in this pool to buy or the, the properties. Asset prices can't, you know, uh, sustain, you know, rising interest rates as, as much. It depends on how high of an interest rate rise. 
Um, so of course there's going to be pressure. Now, is it enough pressure to have downward, um, you know, pressure on those prices or just let off some of that steam of the upward pressure? I mean, anybody's guess to know, you know, how much is that actual, but I would, you're not going to see this year to be like, oh man, we had a 20, like in San Antonio, they made like 21% year over year. It's nuts. It's yeah. not going to happen this year. Uh, but it, you're still, are we going to only see maybe like 3% or are we going to see just flat, maybe 5%? I don't know what the gain is, but it's definitely going to be less um, than what we saw. So it's like, if you miss the train, I mean, don't, don't fret too much because uh, especially if you're time, again, if you're on that younger time scale, your time horizon is so long, the prices that you're buying now, it's just going to look silly 20, 30 years from now when you're in your fifties and you're like, well, shoot, you know, I bought that. I remember back in the day, I bought that house for next to nothing. Um, so I wouldn't fret so much because we're going to be saying, singing that same tune about, oh man, uh, I should have bought more. I should have bought more. Um, so if you're thinking about it, buy, just buy more, you know, <laughs> don't get wrecked. I say it with like an asterisk, don't get wrecked in the process because cash flow is important. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, you can get over leveraged and not have those, the appropriate cash flow to maintain your position. Uh, so, so long as you can maintain your position, then I say buy more. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah, that's otherwise it's boring. reckless. Yeah. 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 Last question. Like when looking at like the balance of risk versus reward in real estate, I mean, how does one know when they're becoming over leveraged and when is too much, I guess, too much. Right. If you're not able to sleep at night, cause you're worried about your monthly debt payments, you're probably way over your head. You know? <laughs> so, uh, um, it's, I would say that, uh, like during the recession, the Great Recession, right? We had maybe about a twenty-five percent default rate on uh, positions, people that had not on the bottom subprime mortgages. So I would say, if you can't pay your bills with twenty-five percent of your renters or lend or borrowers, if you have mortgages uh, paying their bills, then you're probably over leveraged um, because that's a good baseline to factor. Okay, if we had another exact repeat of the Great Recession. 25% of these people, I would just imagine, just for good sake, that they're subprime borrowers, they're going to default. So make sure that even if 25% of your people stop paying you, you can still make your payments and be comfortable and sleep at night. Um, that's how you know you probably have a, a good balance. You know, you still should pad, still pad that, but that's probably a good guesstimate. Yeah, I, I think that's really important, being comfortable right. and, and having trust that you can cover your debt service comfortably, just as you right, said, on a, on a monthly basis. Right. Because it's not going to be like the same time that the market crashes. It's not just going to be your own little world that crashed. It's going to be everybody at the same time. So access to credit freezes up uh, or becomes harder to access. So everybody's going to be scrambling at the same time. It's just not a good time. It's basically keep some of your powder dry for the event that something could happen. Uh, you know, because you just never know. But you don't want to make it. It would be horrendous to make it all this distance just to lose it all at the end. So it's like, it's better to go cautiously um, and still have security. And even in the worst case event, you're okay, then to move too quickly and then you end up losing it all. And then it's like, well, what did you just spend all this time working on? It would just be a travesty to lose all that work of those years accumulating it. Yeah, I completely agree. And just looking at like the course of, of your portfolio and how it's scaled, like when I think of like you entering at where you did in 2015 and now selling literally weeks or, or months before we we're raising interest rates, it's like when I think of like the perfect, the perfect buy, hold, and sell, like you you hit the nail on the head. So it was right. pretty in terms cool. of like even this new house, I just bought a new house and I locked it in right before interest rates changed because uh, interest rates just went up like 40 basis points and I just closed it and bam, locked it in a half a million dollar loan. Uh, and so it's like, 
Um, you can never really time the market, but if you're sitting in what you know is a good time, you might as well secure what you can yeah. uh, before, because obviously they're going to go up. Yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. very true. Um, uh, last question for you, Mark. We, yeah. we always end on this question. It's not real estate related, but we talk a lot of mindset on here. I love talking financial freedom. I mean, yeah. Mark Ortega's living the perfect life. What's it look like? Uh, if I'm living the perfect life, it is, um, I've moved from the scale of, um, on that passive scale, because there's people say, oh, real estate, it's not passive. Uh, it depends on where you're on the scale. I want to move to the absolute end of that scale where it's passive and still have, I don't know, um, a good, maybe three, $400,000 a year in income, but it's on the actually truly passive scale where my calls are very minimal. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could live way, very well uh, with that. And even with the, if you, because I always factor in life cycles, right? So, okay, I have to factor in children and, you know, college and, you know, uh, I could live very comfortably with that. So my perfect life would be extremely passive, but in, in lower risk category, uh, high income. And that's, that would be a dream. I think everybody would love that, <laughs> like true mailbox money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be that'd be incredible. I I can't thank you enough, Mark. Again, I I think your story is incredible. Your wealth of knowledge, your ability to enter in 2015 and and now sell here in 2022, it is literally the like poster child of, of how to buy, hold, and sell real estate. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, people listening who want to learn more about you, Mark, or maybe there's you know people out there for partnership opportunities or in maybe the Texas, Oklahoma area or, or whatever. I mean, what's the best way to get a hold of you and, and what platforms are you on? Or how can people follow yeah. up with you? Uh, I mean, I'm just basically Instagram. I mean, I don't really, I mean, I use Instagram. I'm more a lurker than an actual user Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I use Instagram. Uh, I think it's, let me even check my name. That, or if you want to just email me, I just have like a work email. Uh, but let me, or it's, my Instagram is Mark underscore A underscore Ortega. Got it, pretty, pretty basic. So, <laughs> Got yeah. it. Yeah, this this is the part where you can plug whatever you want. So I just thought I I'd give you the uh, oh the, uh, yeah the floor there. So yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. You know, and going over this because it's always good to it's always good to accumulate knowledge and share it with other individuals so that hopefully you know they can utilize it, not just learn it. Because half of the game is learning it, the other half is actually applying it. So if anybody out of this gets actually applies that knowledge this is a home run you know of helping to share knowledge yeah man i, I appreciate everything you did and seriously uh what, what what you were able to do in the last you know five six years is really incredible and to do it at 29 years old i mean it's 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 yeah. insane so it's been a good run i've been lucky <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> so, yeah it's been Mark, good. thank you again for coming on well science i appreciate it brother and, and have a great rest of your night yeah i appreciate it man take care Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.